0: You have a this this version has, you have a little wider screen. I can now see the sweet smell of success poster and the beguiled poster I was never <laughs> able to see before
1: <laughs> using my anamorphic computer lens. Um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, hey, Joe, how you doing? Hi. What do you What do you say? We long take a look time at? no see. <laughs> it has been. It's been a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, except for the twelve times we tried to get this going in the last two days.
1: I think if people understood the technical
0: complexity.
1: complexity of podcasting. They would have a lot more respect for us. <laughs> um, anyway, we're, we're going to, uh, what do you say we uh, take a look at our mailbag? It's been a okay, while. Okay, let's look in the mailbag. Let's look in the mailbag. You got mailbag. ticking you know what the first the first one's hilarious because I just got an email I think from you I didn't even read so this may be moot but uh Kriegel on Instagram um wants uh, our thoughts on Christopher Nolan's attempts to get Tenet into theaters ASAP global well according to there. what has happened
0: in the last hour yes. uh Mr. Nolan this uh must be Mr. Nolan must, must be very uh, frustrated um I don't know when he finished shooting this movie but it doesn't look to me like we're watching it this year Um, it's been postponed and postponed and postponed. And now, you know, since everybody kept saying that they put on their happy hats and they kept saying, oh, this virus, you know, we're going to get a handle on it. It's going to go away. The fall is going to be different. It's not true. Uh, It's it's out of control. It's a disaster. Uh, Half the people aren't doing the protocols and they don't care. And then if they ever find a vaccine, half of those people will refuse to take it. So the chances of getting back to normal, quote, unquote, whatever night whatever 2019 was, seemed pretty remote to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, my friend Susan Nicoletti, uh, uh, we were talking about this and, and she said, well, you know, they, they predict the death of the movie theater all the time. You know, they were in, with radio and then the, the television came in and then VCRs and You know, it was always like the the, the movie theater is going to die. But this is different. Yeah. This, this, is, this is getting out of the habit of going to the movies completely. And there's never been a, a, a time that I can remember where, There was no product. Yeah. So what's the inducement? I mean, if Tenet is the movie you want to see most this year, are you really willing to endanger your health to do it? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I I doubt there's enough people who are willing to do that to make it worthwhile. I, You know, he's been getting a lot of flack for his single-minded obsession. And um, as as someone who tends to think that that single-minded obsession is insane and all sorts of things, I also... Um, and you can speak to this far better than I can, I think there's a mentality you have to adapt when you're directing a thing um, where you do go insane and it becomes all-encompassing and it's everything. And, and um, you know, I know you can't just hit a switch and turn that off the instant you finish editing. So I, I, I sort of get his obsession and I would imagine that uh, as a little time goes by, he might calm down about it. Well, yeah, but I
0: mean, you know, obviously if you look at his work, he he's made them to be seen in big Right. On big screens. Oh, for sure. Audiences, you know, and and the way you experience a movie communally is not the same as you experience it on your computer or even on your TV with three people in the room.
1: No, I'm, Uh, I'm just saying that I think I think that sort of as as you're putting the finishing touches on the film, the mentality you have to adapt is I don't care if it destroys the entire world. People must see my film. And then that has to subside a little bit. It's well, I think it's certainly, it's,
0: it's it's certainly in my lifetime, there's never been a situation like this where yeah. you had to imagine that, you know, people people coming in and paying money to see your movie is actually going <laughs> to spread germs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I feel for them. I feel for all the people whose movies were supposed to be released in theaters and ended up having to go on, you know, on TV. And and uh, and there were, the remuneration financially is greatly reduced. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about Tenet is that, you know, most of Nolan's movies make a uh, majority of their money overseas. Mm. And uh, this one can't play in China because China has a rule that no movie can be longer than two hours, oh, which is yeah. the dumbest rule uh, <laughs> ever. But nonetheless, that's their rule. And so it's disqualified. So it can't be oh, wow. there. And that was a place where I'm sure they looked to having a lot of money. Now, you know, some distributors get around this by doing different versions of the movie right. or cutting out of things that are offensive to the, the the audience or or just compile you know, complying with a lot of local censor requests and stuff. But, you know, I don't I don't see no one doing
1: that. Yeah, no, I don't either. Um, Andy Land on Instagram, uh it's an interesting question for a couple of reasons. Um, who is someone that is deceased? That you wish you could have sat down and talked to on the show. I,
0: well, you know, I'm, I, aren't I supposed to say Jesus? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but really, how many? How do you think? Do you think there are any movies that made Jesus? I don't know. I think. Um, yeah, them Jeffrey Hunter. <laughs> I, I think. I think. Yeah. I just, I, it was interesting because I conjured with it for a while, and I was like, you know, there's probably a few people who have died recently, but you know, we're only a, a generation or two into the a uh, group of filmmakers who grew up on movies that, you know, all the filmmakers, I think that you revere, that I revere, that made us want to get into this um, were... Uh, people uh, who had lumberjacks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in a weird way, I mean, I'd love to have sat down and talked to Sam Peckinpah. I, I doubt he would be able to come up with a list of 10 movies that made him want to make movies. You know, that's, that's not where he came from. All these people came from other backgrounds. So, you know, doing a show called The Movies That Made Me in 1950, would have been a waste of time.
0: Well, that doesn't that 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 uh, that, that indicates that the questions would, would have to be the same kind that we ask on this show, right? And, and but I don't know that that would be the case. If you if you sat down with somebody, you might want to talk to them about their lives or something. Well, yeah, exactly, that actually exactly. Actually, had to do with real life.
1: But that's what we don't do. That we don't care about your oh, life. Oh, thank you. Just care about your movie. <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Tamisa writer on Instagram. Um, this, this is a serious one. It's going to require a lot of thought. Uh, why is smoking the band of part three never gotten its proper due? As well, I seminal- beg to differ because
0: <laughs> on this very site trailers from hell, yeah. uh, there is a glowing review of smoking the band of three.
1: Is it Rifkin? It's
0: gotta be Rifkin. Uh, I thought it was you. No, no, I can't remember. I'd have to, look <laughs> it
1: but there is one. I, I think though. Um, I mean, honestly, I know, you know, I mean, I wonder if everybody listening knows that originally the film was shot as Smokey, Jackie, is, Smokey with, is the Bandit. Right, and Jackie Gleason was playing both parts. Playing both parts, yeah, which... Um, which apparently yeah, didn't work out. <laughs> I, I also, I thought it was interesting that, um, uh, that Ridley Scott, uh, for a hot minute, was considering doing the same thing with his Robin Hood. Remember this?
0: Yes, but I wasn't crazy about his Robin Hood either. So, <laughs> um,
1: uh, here we go. Larry Karazuzki did uh, the panel yeah. part three. Yeah. Um, and he I was very that... enthusiastic about. It. Right, well, we should have him back to talk about why that is. Why well, he can't bring his new beard with him now? He's got a big,
0: he's got a big coronavirus beard now. He looks like Santa Claus.
1: Yeah. By the way, if you don't already, follow, and Jonathan Kaplan are the same person. Follow Larry <laughs> Karazuzki on social media. He looks like. Um, what uh, pretty much every white American thought God looked like in about 1952. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, Sam Bowran on Instagram, uh, how much interest is there in Hollywood by studio reps in maintaining the future integrity of their legacy titles? Apart from special restoration and preservation projects, it seems the bigger company's efforts to ensure original elements are preserved is diminishing as time goes on.
0: Well, you know, you may recall that if it wasn't for television, we wouldn't have half these movies uh, because yeah. they were going to dump them. They were going to just, I mean, the famous Jack Warner quote, uh, you know, burn vault one, which had the silent films in it, make room for maverick episodes. Uh. Um, so uh, I think that uh, there has been over the past 20 years, a concerted effort to try to find, uh, you know, the materials to, put out better stuff i mean i started collecting 16 millimeter and um most of those prints were made uh, for television stations and for convents and tuna boats and all sorts of places right prisons that that would run uh small gauge films but um there wasn't a lot of uh, attention paid at the at the time to preserving anything they just Where, where's the negative let's print it you know uh, and, and but when with the video revolution and the fact that the better quality stuff like blu-rays appeared and hd it suddenly was very difficult to take the same materials that they'd been using which were kind of grainy and doopy and uh, make them look good so they've actually gone in the past decades back to as in many cases to find original negatives i mean they they found the original negative on hollywood boulevard my first movie which i right. wouldn't i wouldn't, wouldn't begin to tell you where to find that you, you know, know. Uh, so it, it, the the cause of film history has been greatly Aided uh, by the fact that they have, uh, there are these dedicated people, like the people at Warner Archive, yep. people at Sony, and, uh, who have gone to the gone the extra mile to find to find missing footage, to reconstitute director's pets, to do all this kind of stuff, all in the best possible stuff. And then you've got Nicholas Winton Raffan doing his you know his, his rescue work on uh, obscure indies that uh, some of which uh, he's found that uh, negative prints and negatives that people didn't even think existed. You know, Mike Verney at something weird did a lot of great archival work on uh, on finding movies that had slipped through the cracks. So, I mean, there's more out there now than than there ever was before. If if on a corporate level, the question is, you know, how interested are they? Yeah, um, that's that's a that's a harder question to have, answer because the, uh, the, the 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 smaller uh, niche parts of the company are run by people who are film buffs who love films and they're they're, they're dedicated to trying to preserve this stuff i think and they're all answering to a bottom line and they all have to make uh, the, 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 in the in the best in the best situations these people are so isolated from the people at the top that they almost don't know that they're there right so as long as they keep within a certain budget they can do more or less whatever they want
1: and yet somehow there's still no devils blu-ray well, that's a different. That's, that's, that's not insane. because there's no
0: materials. That's because right. it's a controversial movie. Yeah,
1: there's somebody at the top who's still. It's
0: uh, it's there's somebody at the at the corporate head of Warner Brothers has decreed, much like Song of the South, uh, yeah. that this is just something that we just don't want to get behind. Yeah, and which I think is a tragedy. But I think it's a tragedy in both cases. But um, I think we're we owe these people a lot, and um, with any luck. Uh, it will continue uh, in what is now obviously a very ever-changing market yeah. for this material, and you know, it, it, since cable television is now on its last legs because the cord cutters, you know, which were already on the march, yep. now with the coronavirus have decided, well, you know, I don't need 200 channels of which I only watch 12, yep. uh, which I think all of us feel, but. On the other hand, those those twelve channels maybe you can't get them anywhere else unless you have cable. So um, it's 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 a, it's a it's an expensive proposition to to buy a bunch of stuff you don't want, you know, yeah. uh, to get the things you do want.
1: Yep, no for sure. And we we should I did you to mention that it's a great site. Uh, Nicholas Reference website is um, bynwr dot and if you don't know about this or haven't been there, definitely worth checking out. Um, He's keeping some really interesting films alive over there. Uh, Hooded Menace on Instagram. Um, What are your favorite uh, John Milius movies? And would you consider him inviting him on a future episode? What are you kidding? It would kill to have John Milius on the show.
0: Uh, Hooded Menace, you know, is interestingly the cover of a um, cartoon, uh, a comic book that's being read by Corey Feldman in Grumbles, which is an actual real comic book which I actually happen to have right here. Are you serious? Me, for some reason. <laughs> uh, and uh, and it's, it's all tattered and everything, but it was a real comic, and it was so old and obscure that we didn't have to worry about the copyright. Right. Um, so this guy's moniker is obviously very very clever and classy. Uh, as far as Milius goes, um, I've always had a soft spot for a Villager, mainly because I think it's an AIP picture. And it's, it was an early film of his, and it's kind of a distillation. Uh, you know, when you watch uh, filmmakers' early pictures, sometimes they're more revealing than, than some of their later work that they had more money and also more interference on. Yeah, they also did a short called Marcello, I'm So Bored. Which oh, is, yeah, I know I'm, of it, I've never seen it, which is really, really funny. And, yeah, okay, uh, I'm not quite sure where you would go to find that, but it's really it's, it's a great Fellini parody.
1: Oh, wow. Um, I got to go. I mean, as a writer, uh, just a writer, I think Jeremiah Johnson is, is mine. Um, but uh, Big, Big Wednesday is such a lovely film. Big Wednesday was
0: the, in the editing rooms of, of New World Pictures. Big Wednesday was the, uh, the go-to movie. When I, All these people who were editing pictures, they would take a lunch hour mm-hmm. and they would go up to the Pix Theater, which is two blocks away, and they would see wh- wherever Big Wednesday happened to be in the run. For the two hours or the hour that they had off, they would go and they would bring their lunch. They'd watch it, and they watched Big Wednesday. I mean, it was it was was a cult movie the day it came out.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I saw a great screening of. I don't know if I've told the story before. Uh, They they showed it at the uh, American Cinematheque uh, several years back, and um, William Kat and Barbara Hale showed up to talk about it afterwards. And there were two guys in the front of the audience. were dressed in like the Hawaiian shirts and shorts and had beers and were really vocal during the whole film about their love of the movie. And it was fascinating because for about the first 15, 20 minutes you could feel all of us, you know, a cinema snobs getting more and more annoyed at these rubes. And then you slowly realize like, Oh, we're the, we're the intruders here. These guys, you know, they drove all <laughs> the way up from Redondo beach. This movie is their Bible and then by the time they got to the Q and A, and they were sitting right in front, I don't, you know, you don't get the sense they go to a lot of movies with Q and As. Um, about twenty minutes into the Q and A, it was mentioned for about the fifteenth time that Barbara Hale was actually William Cat's real mother. And one of the guys stands up and he goes, "What the fuck? You're actually his mother? Oh my god!" And uh, <laughs> they were they were delightful. It it just it made the it's like seeing out of the grindhouse. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was fantastic. Um, Rushmore beekeeper on Instagram. Uh, this is interesting. I, I, I'd i love to ask you this too. I don't really have a set answer, but when you're watching a movie and not liking it, do you watch the whole thing or do you have set rules and principles about when to shut it off?
0: Uh, it's funny that that just came up recently because um, I, I sent some, I sent around an article about somebody who walked out on the painted bird, which is a current, a uh, movie that's apparently pretty heavy and hard to watch. And some people just don't want to see the whole thing. Uh, and it led to a discussion about walking out on movies. And I, and I remembered that uh, the first time I ever walked out on a movie was, I was with John Landis. I was at the, the Pacific Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. And we were watching Swamp Thing.
1: Uh... And,
0: uh, about 45 minutes into it of watching the Swamp Thing's uh, costume not fit him, uh, I turned to John and I said, life is too short. And we got up and left. And ever since then, I have never felt guilty about leaving a movie. But but before that, I would sit. I would sit through, through any movie because yep. there was always something. There was a shot. There was a piece of music. There was a performance. There was something in it that was interesting, and I could take it away from it. But then at a certain point, I just reached a level where you know this is just a bunch of crap, and I I just don't have room for it. And I I guess that happens the more movies you see. You know, yeah. then, you know your 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 bullshit filter just fills up, and finally there's just no more room. And so I've never felt guilty about walking out of a movie or turning off a movie that um, isn't isn't engaging me.
1: Yeah, I tend to be the same way. There's a um, great Nick Hornby book. Uh, Nick was the novelist is a novelist who wrote like about a boy and High Fidelity. And um, it's a book that comes with a CD, and it's just essays about some of his favorite songs. And one of them ventures into this story i don't remember what the song was uh where he is a teenager with a friend of his goes to see led zeppelin live and they're about 27 minutes into the drum solo and he looks at his friend and his friend looks at him and they get up and they get out and they go off and have dinner at some pub and they uh, come he, back and the and the drums yeah, going going on. On. <laughs> but he had he had a great line i should have looked it up before we did this it was a great line about how like there's nothing like dinner at 8:30 when you thought you were going to be getting out of 11 <laughs> And that, that, it was one of those things that was just so pristine in its thinking that it really, I, I had always felt guilty walking out of things up until then. And yeah, it's like life's, life's too short. Um, it's, uh, uh, I don't know if I should, I won't, I won't mention the film. There was a movie several years ago. Um, <laughs> Rifkin's going to kill me. I went to see a movie with Adam Rifkin and it was, it was from a, a black filmmaker. Um, it was an indie film. It had gotten some praise. It had just come out. And we went off and I try never to say anything to the person I'm with. Because if you're sitting there hating a movie and they're loving it, you don't want to ruin it. It's a terrible thing. Yeah. So sit there silent, but I could feel the vibes coming off of him. And I looked at him and he looked at me like, let's get out of here. And we walked out and there was nothing funnier or more pathetic. There were two black guys sitting at the end of the aisle. The theater was almost empty. We had to get past him to get out. And Adam and I were doing every, we were obviously leaving too because we were together. And we're doing everything we could with our body language to go, it's not because we're racist, it's because the movie's terrible. <laughs> How did that play? Uh, they didn't give a shit, thank God. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Um, uh, Floor Kofi on Instagram. Um, what are your favorite books on cinema? Biography, theory, interviews, history, or any cinema related genres? Oh, that's a tall order. I know. (laughs) You know, when I
0: started out, there were hardly any uh, books on cinema that were serious. I mean, there was Arthur Knight's The Liveliest Art, and then there was one by Louis Jacobs. uh, I think it was called the American Film. And those were sort of the dry texts that you were taught in film school because there really wasn't a lot of other stuff. But then in the the late 60s and 70s, all of a sudden there was a a burgeoning uh, new genre basically of um of not only movies about movie, uh, books about movies but books about making movies and books of and, and analysis and pauline kale and you know manny farber who, who had been writing columns but they had almost never been put together in books um uh the the, the 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 book that i gave everybody for christmas a couple of years ago is called the grove press book of hollywood which you can get online and it's a series of articles that were printed in Grove press from the 30s through, I think, the 80s uh, on, a, on a variety of topics. And it's, um, it was, it's one of the best books about Hollywood that I've ever read. It's not, it's not compiled in any sense. There's no you know, through line to it. It's just, it's just a bunch of stories about different people and different things. And it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a grab bag of stuff that I highly recommend that can easily be gotten um, that's, that's the one I would recommend.
1: Um, interesting. That actually reminds me, yeah, there's a great book, uh, um, called let's, Letters from Hollywood, uh, inside the private world of classic American Movie Making." That is, um, uh, copies of great pieces of, uh, uh, letters. People have sent each other studio head canceling films or bad directors or, you know that kind of stuff. That's that um, is pretty wonderful.
0: There's another one on that uh, by Rudy Belmore called Inside Warner Brothers. Which oh is right, co- yeah. Which is a yeah. collection of uh, of memos back and right. forth to, you know, about how Errol Flynn looks like a fag in that, in that <laughs> costume, you know, and, and it's and it's very revealing and interesting. Uh, and yeah, uh, it, it, many famous people at, at their worst and best. Um, and uh, he had and Rudy said yeah i i wrote him a letter i told him how much i liked it and he said you know you should come over i've got so many more i couldn't put in the book oh wow i I unfortunately never did but oh uh, no i can't imagine what he was
1: using for sources yeah i'd love to rerun the ones that he couldn't print um yeah i don't i mean the one you know the the um in, in terms of sort of uh theory I guess um, the one that people don't always think of with screenwriting that I absolutely love—it's it's such a great textbook—is weirdly um, David Mamet's book on directing. Uh, I—it's—it's it's an incredibly useful, almost breaks it down to sort of mechanical nuts and bolts. Um, weirdly, he thinks he's talking about how to direct scenes; he's actually talking about how to write scenes, and it's—it's uh, it's a really, really good book. There's a series uh, called Backstory.
0: It's uh, three uh, three volumes of, a, of interviews with screenwriters uh, that uh, is really uh, terrific if you can find it. And, and, and it goes back people in the '30s all the way up to Chuck Griffith and people you know from uh, from the '60s and '70s. And um, screenwriting books, books interviews with screenwriters are really fascinating because there's so much going on. In, in their opinions of how they were treated and how what worked and what didn't work and, right. and, and it's, um, it's it's and it's it's a, it's a voice you don't get to hear except through an interpreter when you yes. watch the movies yes but when you just read the books it's like
1: you know real people talking. yeah no I'm, I'm with you on that another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to say for it Is there any bad movie you would like to take a crack at, whether uh, through writing or directing, and try to make it great?
0: Uh, that's a kind of a strange question. <laughs>
1: um, I've, I've got an answer. There are,
0: there are a couple of movies that I would like to be let loose in the editing room with. Uh-huh. Uh, to, that, that, that you watch the movie and you go, geez, there's definitely a better movie in here than this. I mean, this, I, 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 can't name, I can't name some of these things because I get in trouble. But, but <laughs> there, there are some movies that I've seen that I just thought, boy, if this is only shorter. Yeah. <laughs> and not so indulgent. And not so it doesn't go off in tangents. And, but there's really a good stuff in here, but it just didn't, it got lost.
1: Yeah, we go to the same church on that one. I'm uh, I'm all about tight and concise. There's um, uh, my glib answer is Forrest Gump, um, but uh, which, how would you, you know. possibly save that? <laughs> well, the book's the book's pretty good, um, but it doesn't, ha- uh, it doesn't have that per- that
0: particular political bent.
1: It, no, no, it doesn't. Um, uh, but uh, the one just when you were just talking, the thing that I thought of um, one that uh, in terms of an edit. Uh, I love, I will hear no um, bad words against it, Uh, Mel Gibson's, the original cut, actually, of Payback. It hurts me to say that. I normally like to go with writers, but I think uh, the cut that he did um, that you saw in theaters is the superior one. There is one scene in Payback that is so clearly a studio note. It's just infuriating. And it's when Mel goes to a diner to sit down with Maria Bello, uh, the greatest actress who ever lived, and they talk about their feelings for three minutes straight, and that's it. And it is put there because the movie is so hard-edged and flinty that somebody probably went, wait, they like each other? And it's just the two of these hard-boiled characters just spilling their guts all over the place for three minutes about their feelings for each other. And it serves no purpose. And honestly, if you're watching it on Blu-ray, you can just, when he walks into the diner, you hit chapter and you cut to the next scene and you're fine. It's like, that's, <laughs> that is the only problem with payback. You can fix it right now. Um, Captain Hamster uh, wants to know if there's a movie you loathed on first viewing that you later realized was
0: brilliant. Oh, probably. Uh, it doesn't come to mind at the moment. But there were directors I didn't like when I was coming up. That oh, I dis- yeah, you've taught- I, yes. That I discovered later that I was, uh, I whoever I was at that time, mm-hmm. uh, I just wasn't getting it. And then I realized that there was more here than meets the eye. And I was, it was me who was being immature and not, uh, you know, not the something wrong with the, the material that I was looking at. Uh, Richard Quine is one character that comes to mind whose movies I just didn't like at all. And this is um, um, kind of surprising because he was closely aligned with Ernie Kovacs, so I was, I was a big fan of. Uh, but then in later years, in reassessing uh, some of these pictures, uh, I mean, Bell Book of Candle is now one of my favorite movies. That's so, fine. uh, it's, you just, you do evolve. The movies don't evolve, you evolve and they are not necessarily the same thing they were when you first saw them Yeah, them sure. later. Um,
1: what well, we've talked about, you know, I, I, I transitioned on this show about, um, blow up, uh, which after, after many episodes of being berated by you and guests, I went back and revisited and loved. Um, the one I remember though, I remember being so insanely disappointed with Big Lebowski. Uh, the first time. And with every Coen Brothers film, I gave it a second chance um, because they're always better the second time. Even their great films are greater the second time. And the second time through recognizing and knowing that this is not, as much as it looks like when it's not a detective movie, it's not about the unraveling of the plot. It's just these characters. Um, I can't think of a movie where the the first and second viewing were so radically different for me because I loved it to death. And Nancy and I just watched it the other night she turned to me. She goes, "How many times have we seen this?" I'm like, "I have no idea." <laughs> I hated it. I was so angry about that film. I, I thought it was the well. Angle. That's how I felt
0: about Medium Cool when I saw it. But that was because I was on my high dudgeon about Paramount and Gulf and Western and exploiting their uh, the, the 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 riots and the kids and and all that stuff. And of course, you know, obviously that was not what was going on. But at the right. time, I was just I just thought this was a, an offense, you know, to yeah. have this big corporate company you know, making money from our sacred beliefs. right? And that right. now, of course, I see that it's a, it's a great movie in its own way. And it, was, and it came from all the right places. Yes. That's uh, interesting. And that was amazing. And, and now the fact, that it, the fact that a company would actually make a picture like that, you know, it just it makes you nostalgic for when they actually made movies that were movies. I mean, I, I heard recently that the only reason Disney made the 25th hour was because they didn't have an Oscar movie. And oh, so they wow. say, well, let him do that. Sure. <laughs> let Thanks. him do the 25th hour because maybe yeah. we'll win some
1: awards. It worked out. a
0: prestige out. movie. The whole idea of prestige movies seems to have more or less uh, vanished into the Marvel universe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, God, and I love 25th hour too. It's, it's such a good film. Uh, yeah. Um, Neil Pike on Twitter. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask this. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Many great movies are born from troubled times. What sort of movies do you think might be born from our experiences in 2020? Well, they've already they've already made Apocalypse Now, so we can yeah. use that title. I'm I'm so looking forward to the slew of movies and TV shows that are shot entirely on Zoom. I can't tell you how much I look forward to that. That's <laughs> well, it's just it's for, for the aesthetics, basically. Yeah, yeah. I there have been so many of those things greenlit in the last couple of months. I can't imagine anybody. If they come out and we're still in this, who the hell's gonna to want to see that? And if they come out after we're out of it, who the hell's want to go back to that? I I Well
0: that, that that is a dilemma. And I think everybody who's tooling up anything, uh particularly TV series, is thinking now, is this a is this a non-COVID series in that right. COVID never happened? Or right. is this a post-COVID series where we've gotten over it and there are vestiges left of it, which we could, you know, refer to? Or or is it a COVID series in which everybody's wearing masks? Which, no, is, it, it doesn't do a great deal for the acting. Yeah. Um, however, it is very good in post-production because you can dub anything. you can right. put anything in there. You can make it into a Japanese science fiction movie. Yeah. Um, um, I, don't, I, I don't have a clue, and I don't think anybody else does, what the landscape is gonna look like when and if
1: this is over. I have a suspicion that the majority of stuff is going to come out, and it's going to. Um, and apparently, it's the case with the the plague in nineteen eighteen. All of the movies that people just didn't want to think about it um, once they had gotten through. I, I don't. I don't see yeah, but this anybody. This is a
0: whole year. Yeah, twenty twenty, the year that wasn't.
1: Right. I mean, how are you
0: going to? If you're telling a generational saga, you can't just skip the
1: COVID. <laughs> it's got to be part of the story. Eh, eh, I don't know. I I I don't want to go back to. This much as I'm enjoying this, Joe. this yes, uh, of experience. course. Yeah. It's, 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 it is a high water map. <laughs> but um, by the way, speaking of, we, I, we, we just watched um, Palm Springs on Hulu, mm-hmm. uh, which is a delightful comedy in the now sort of, I guess, a sort of genre of kind of Groundhog Day type films. It's really, really good. But it's so uh, unintentionally timely. Because it's about two people who are basically locked together in the same day and can't get out of it. And, um, about their relationship, but, uh, very, very good stuff. Uh, here's one just for you, Joe. You'll love this. Uh, giallo, giallo soda pop on Twitter wants to know with all the weekly mentions of Mandy.
0: <laughs> weekly daily.
1: Do you have any plans of bringing Nicholas Cage on as a guest? Um, well, that's I do not love my purview. <laughs> that's, that's for you to do. I, we're, we're, I I've been working on it forever. I, I love that, uh, people think it's just a matter. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's heartening that you think that all we have to do is plan to have him on and he'll be on. Uh, we would, we would kill to have Nick Cage on. Um, we well, why have, don't you make him
0: wish like for Tinkerbell, you know, just just put on, you know, close his eyes and wish real hard. And
1: that's sure right. That. Um, no, I, I, we, we'd love to have him. The invitation is out. Um, there's, there's a lot of people we'd love to get on it. Uh, uh it takes time. It takes effort. Um, in some cases, even when we have personal connections, as we, we know the producers of Mandy. They've been well, on how our long show. did it take us to get Edgar? Uh, well, yeah, Edgar just, but that was, he was busy. He, he wanted to. Well, he they all genuine. say they're busy. That's <clears clears laughs> their <laughs> excuse. Ah, well, that's true. I, I, you know what? I believe him finally. When he came on, he was, he was fantastic. <laughs> um, the one and only genuine original Martian Manhunter wants to know, what is the most obscure movie that means a lot to you personally?
0: almost all the movies that mean something they me personally are obscure <laughs> <laughs> what i've done is tried to I've, I've tried to de-obscure some of them you know yes. uh, a lot of a lot of movies that i saw when i was uh, in college like the sadist is a great example of oh, a really low budget mm. movie
1: yeah
0: um shot by Vilmos sigmund who uh and it all takes place in real time and it's a it's a it's a sleazy uh movie about a a, a crazy psycho holding teacher's captive in a junkyard and it's all shot in the junkyard it's, and it's it's a tr- it's a terrific example of doing something with no money and not even lo- only one location uh but that's a movie that was incredibly obscure until yeah. i started you know beating the drum for it and then i got a I, I did some liner notes for the dvd and spider baby is another picture that i, right, yeah. I always liked that i I, you know, I had to track down and and nobody had seen it for years and years and years and it was really obscure um and that again to get back to nick raffan this is this is the kind of thing that he's doing yeah uh, not just on his site but in his in his life or with his money i guess uh is trying to find these um indie pictures uh sometimes sleazy sometimes arty um and trying to get them put back together he's got a great version of uh, night tide up on his site um and Stark Fear, which was another picture that, oh, uh, yeah, the, the... which is, which was actually uh, kind of a lost movie, which I had seen at the drive-in as a second feature. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, I sort of lived for those kind of movies. And even when I was a film reviewer, I would go out of my way. I'd go to the worst, grind grindhouses in the worst parts of town to see movies that weren't reviewed by anybody. And I wanted to get them on the record, put them, yeah. have, somebody, have somebody review these things. Uh, and so I, I saw a lot of movies in like Carnival of Souls. I mean, I, was, I could have been killed in that theater, but I, I stuck out. I saw the whole thing. Um, I even stayed for The Devil's Messenger, which was the second feature. Um, so uh, I don't have a favorite. I just, uh, it's, it's just part of my DNA. I really like those kind of movies.
1: Yeah. I, you, might, you know, on I, my brief tenure at film school, I took a feminist film theory class. And I remember for the sort of final paper, I told the teacher I was going to write about a movie I had just seen uh, in Times Square at a grindhouse called Ms. 45. And uh, he, um, uh, I, I, he, he liked me. He thought I was a good student, but he also had a sense of me. And he said, you better be taking this seriously. It's like I said, yeah, I was. And he was very doubtful. And I wrote a paper on it. And I was, I was thrilled to find out that the next summer, the next year um, when he did the uh, class, he now had Ms. 45 on the syllabus. Oh, that, that made me very proud. Vindication. Yeah, absolutely. The other one, I, the first one I always think of though with obscure films is this Canadian movie called Leolo from a writer-director named Jean-Claude Lazon, who made two movies and then died. Um, that is just absolutely beautiful film about a kid uh, living in Canada who's fantasized this entire life for himself. He believes he's Italian um, and he wants to be a writer and it's just an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, funny, funny, dark movie. Um but but beautiful and worth, worth tracking down. There's only a DVD and it's a gorgeous film. It should be on Blu-ray and it just seems to have fallen between the cracks. Mm. Uh, Will Foster on Twitter. Uh, this one's just for me, Joe. Um, Josh, which of Joe's movies do you wish you could have taken a crack at writing? Um, here's the thing. They're, they're, uh, e- even if I hadn't, I'm not, I'm not going to say I would want to write any of them because they're all terrific. And, uh, but, but the ones I wish I had written um honestly only because i can't wait to see the film uh i wish i had written man with kaleidoscope eyes because it's such a great <laughs> story but i honestly i don't know if I, it's such a it's a beautiful script um and uh actually somebody else we didn't use this one is asking how that's going i know it's chugging along right
0: well it was it was it's always been chugging along in fits and starts but the the COVID hasn't exactly sped it up any um so uh it's it's still there it's not it's it's uh, it's still uh, in the works as we say as it has been for these many decades and uh, you know I, I, we
1: haven't pulled the plug on it yeah good no it's terrific and, and needs to get made um the other one i wish i wish i had written and you had directed uh a sequel to the howling that would have been fun
0: Well, there are several to choose
1: from well no i don't mean i'm <laughs> yes, yeah, not talking about i'm not talking about those yeah <laughs> We don't talk about them. Um, David Roth, Facebook. What film do you think is the most offensive bad taste uh, that has aged horribly looking back at it now?
0: That assumes that it was uh, not considered in bad taste when it was new.
1: Correct. <laughs>
0: uh, wow. Well, uh, in, in, in these troubled times, there are so many possibilities. Yes. Uh, you know, we are, we are reassessing our entire uh, cinematic history and, and, and also our actual history. Uh, and in doing that, uh, there are going to be some uh, icons that fall by the wayside. Yep. Uh, and um, it, it's the, the idea of, of something that's really, I mean, Showgirls was considered really offensive at the time, right. you know. Um now I think it's probably fairly tame and campy, but uh but at the time it was oh how dare somebody make a picture like this. Yeah. Um and you know, a and, and movies that do push the envelope in that way t- have a, a tendency to sort of catch up with the times, or the times catches up with them and then they sort of become sort of mainstream, sort of forgotten kind of movies that were popular with people who don't remember they saw them. Um but as far as uh just movies that I don't see many movies that offend me, but that's partly because I just don't go to movies that I think are going to offend right, me. Right. Right. Um, uh, I can't off the top of my head think of a, uh, a movie that um, I find so offensive. that.
1: Um, yeah. I, I would say I only um, like you, I, I tend to avoid movies that I think will annoy me and irritate me I, unless it's um when it comes around to award season, you sort of have to watch some screeners and every now and then. All I'll say is recently there was a movie about a guy driving another guy around that made me want to throw a shoe through a TV <laughs> set and it uh, it went on to, uh, I didn't want to think about where it went on to. It's very depressing. Um, Peace Duncan on Facebook. What are What are some of your favorite political movies?
0: Well, all movies are political, you know, well, whether they're intended to be or not. Uh, but if it's movies about politics, uh, you know, um, I, I, I'm I'm quite fond of uh, The Last Hurrah and The Best Man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Gore Vidal version of The Best Man. Yes,
1: um,
0: which I which I prefer over Advising Consent, although that has uh, its its own qualities. Um, the Candidate is a good picture. Yep. Um, I, it's, it's but it depends on what what you mean by politics i mean the manchurian candidate has a lot of politics in
1: it right um, and but it's uh, not an overtly but it's not a political movie but it's yeah, got it's hearings because, and it's exactly. got senators
0: and things yeah. like that and yeah. seven days in may same thing it's got you know it's not a, it, it's about a coup but it's it's not about politics per se
1: right uh,
0: because politics per se can be pretty dull yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, when you look at uh, some of these movies, like if you watch The Best Man now, the, the way that the uh, presidential conventions are uh, presented in that movie, which was accurate at the time, is now completely not the way it's done at all. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, it's sort of a shame in a way because it's, it's much more fun to watch people with all those signs and everything. Um, uh, but uh, political movies... Um, uh, there was a, there, it was the seduction of Joe Tynan. I remember was, uh, with Alan Alda was pretty good. Uh, there's a movie called the man, which was made for television. Oh yeah. G- James Jones as the yes. first uh, black president.
1: Yes. Um,
0: I, I haven't seen that in a long time. I wonder what
1: that's like today. Yeah. I've actually, that, that's popped up a couple of times. Yeah. I thought it'd be kind of interesting to check that out again. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. It's like movies about politics or are, are one thing. I, I don't know. I, I came up with a couple of, uh, I love Investigation of the Citizen Above Suspicion. Yeah, that's I, a great picture. Uh, the fantastic film that for years you couldn't find anywhere. There's now a great criterion version of it. Um, Four Lions, Chris Morris's Four Lions is probably, I think, the best mm-hmm. movie ever made about uh, terrorists um, and, and the funniest. <laughs> and, uh, uh, speaking of people we'd love to have on the show, um, uh, apparently he hates podcasts. I don't know. I'm very, we're working on it, though. And then uh, I'm a big fan <laughs> of a movie I don't think gets enough love um uh, pump up the volume uh christian slater thing uh, written and directed by alan moyle which is um a fantastically entertaining and and wildly political film that's has uh, got a real um i feel like a lot of movies about teenagers especially in that era the message was always you know it's not your fault adults suck you don't have to do anything and pump up the volume basically says yeah all those things but it's, it's on you to fix shit. And it's just, it's, it's a great, great film. Uh, Harvey Hamburg. This is a challenging one, Joe. I went, I went to school with Harvey. With That's Harvey Hamburg? Harvey Hamburg, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. He just says, Joe, I'd be very happy if you would say hello. That's why. Hi, Harvey. <laughs> so you're not going to say hello? He just did. You said hi. Oh,
0: okay. Hello. Jesus. Pretty doctrinaire. hair.
1: Uh, that's going to end up on somebody's ringtone now, I'm sure. Um, oh, so are these just your Facebook friends that we're getting now? Michael Gashu on Facebook. Uh, what now defunct theater, <laughs> what now defunct theater do you miss the most? And what movie did you see there that stuck with you, the movie and the theater experience? Oh, I like
0: well, as, as I have mentioned in one of my recent trailers from Hall um, commentaries on Nightmare in the Sun, uh, the Palace Theater in Philadelphia on Market Street was my favorite theater. Uh, partly because the manager used to let me in for free, but uh, that's <laughs> not the only reason. It was a great theater; uh, it had a huge widescreen, and they played all the all the exploitation pictures first run. And the what did what did market where? Uh, on it was between um, uh, it, it was about two blocks down from City Hall. There oh wait, the, and, there was the, the News Theater, the News Theater, was there? Did this and, become uh, the Family? No, no, the Family was across the street.
1: Oh, okay. I don't the know family the, was, the palace was in, was in the gone. shadow
0: of, of, uh, of City Hall. But, okay. the, but the palace was knocked down uh, just very soon after I left. But uh, it, was, it was my favorite theater. And I saw all the ACL Albums, Westerns, and uh, everything, the Wild Angels, everything that was good that I saw right. in Philadelphia, I saw at the palace.
1: Now, did you ever cross Broad Street and come up to the Fox and the Milgram? Oh, of course. I went there all those the time. Are, I, saw the I saw Omega Man. Uh, uh,
0: that was where the black lady behind me, uh, looked at, uh, Anthony Zerby and Lincoln Kilpatrick and their white makeup and said, they look like sin dipped in misery. <laughs> it always, always stuck with me. Uh. Um, and, uh, I saw the nanny there. I saw, uh, hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Uh. And then, and then right down, uh, was the center, which was the, the, the cheapo grindhouse that had, um. They ran a lot of foreign films. They ran a lot of uh, uh, dubbed Italian pictures, a lot of Fellini pictures. Mm-hmm. And then further down was the World, which was a um, art house theater. And they they ran, That's where where I saw the uh, Batman serial reissue. The uh, all fifteen chapters oh. of one sitting. Um, it was, I, I Philadelphia was a great movie town. It
1: there. really was. It really was. I'm sure we've talked about this. It's it's astonishing to me to go back and there's now. And I, I grew I grew up there. You could walk. You, you couldn't was a walk theater every block. Yeah. yeah, there was at least one theater, sometimes two or even three, and and you could just spend days just going from one theater to the other to the other to the other and always see something new. And and now they are all gone. Yep, um, every it's, single it's one. It's just bizarre. Um, yeah, uh, Riley Bartolomeo uh, on Facebook uh, wants to know what's your favorite Eurocrime crime Polizia film of the seventies.
0: My favorite.
1: Be specific. Boy, that's tough. Um, I have one that I sort of hate but sort of love. Is uh, it a
0: Fernando de Leo? Uh,
1: no, no, no. In fact, didn't I think I did a trailer on it recently? Um, a commentary. Uh, Live Like a Cop and Die Like a Man. Oh yes, you did. Um, that was it.
0: I think that was under movies you never heard of.
1: <laughs> yeah, that probably <laughs> uh, probably it's Ruggiero deodato. I'm I'm terrible with the pronunciations, I apologize. And it's just bonkers i i saw it again recently i showed it to friends um and i don't know if it's a piece of satire or if it's just the most dunderheaded attempt to uh make a certain type of american film but the two cops in it are so absolutely monstrously vile and and yet you get the sense you're supposed to admire them. They're like well, that. That is a that
0: is a trope though for that uh, that, that genre because you know I I, I was going to mention the Italian Connection which yeah. stars uh, Woody Strode and Henry Silva. Oh sure yeah. Uh, along with Mario Adorf I think, and uh, it's 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 a Fernando De Leo which he's he's a favorite of uh, Quentin Tarantino's and yeah. uh, not big on plot. Yeah. Uh, but uh, big on violence, and uh, the hero uh, has a. Talent for headbutting, and he, he headbutts people. Um, and there's chases in junkyards, and there's many, many people killed. And um, that, was a, that was that genre was very popular in the late '70s, yeah, the yeah. early '80s. And AIP picked up a whole bunch of them, uh, and there, and, there, and and a whole lot of American stars like Martin Balsam. Or, People who were over there, uh, Rod Steiger just would like, oh, well, I'll do some of those, you know. Yeah. John Ireland, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll spend a year in Italy making these pictures.
1: Isn't there? Am I completely wrong? Did I just see it? did Kirk Douglas do one, or is that? Yes, he did the master touch. That's it. That's it. it. Yes, the, I it. just saw, saw the poster. Score. Yeah, I just saw that. Must have been it during the neo the wave of uh, sadness and respect for neo. Somebody I saw that poster, and it's Kirk Douglas in this sort of white onesie. It looks. like
0: the composer uh, that uh, jeff wells keeps knocking on uh, oh yeah i,
1: know, that's, I right. that's yes I I,
0: I I just i think he must be deaf I,
1: how do you how I do, do you how not do that? understand that many of more was a genius i'm i'm looking i'm genuinely i'll i'll take it down and i'll show you the camera i i have i still have my tickets here from from the last time he was supposed to play the um yeah whoops the hollywood bowl yeah no that and didn't then, happen and then canceled at the last minute uh, uh Oh, that was very sad. Um, Only a couple more. We're almost through these. Uh, Dean Thompson on Facebook. Kinder trauma. What is a film moment that scared you as a child?
0: Well, apart from the usual Disney moments, you know, yeah. uh, Pinocchio turning into a donkey and uh, Snow White and the witch and, you know, those things, those, those are pretty indelible. Yeah. Um, Bambi's mother, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 was, I talked about it in my Hall uh, commentary, it was uh, Robert Mitchum in Night of the Hunter. Uh-huh. And I went to, you know, lots of horror movies and scary movies and I had nightmares from giant insects and all that kind of stuff, but I had never seen anything like the character that Mitchum plays in *The Night of the Hunter*, and he's what's more, he's chasing children, so it's it's even even worse. And I saw it at a Saturday matinee. And uh, oh, just put this on for the kids. Got hunters in it. Um, And uh, and the the scene where he uh, can't uh, he tries to catch them in a skiff, and he's in the water, and they they get away. And he bellows out this sound that's then mixed with a music note. Was uh, just haunting for me. And. It was. It was a, I still remember. I remember where I was sitting. I mean, it was. It was, and I couldn't have been more than gosh, what, 55 I must have been nine. Well, you
1: know? yeah. Well, it's um, funny because there's a connection to mine, which is also children being chased, and uh, not not quite as good a film, but um, the Child Catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang.
0: No, you're not alone. A lot of people. Oh that
1: my way. God, that trauma! It is still yeah you know, there's certain images you think of in your head that the automatic when a word comes up or an idea comes up that you go to first um and for me, when you say evil, it's the child catcher i just that's the first I start with that it is the child catcher absolutely terrifying. I remember him reaching through a grating for some kid oh God, just gave me nightmares. Uh, I hear he's running for president next year yeah <laughs> um uh let's see um. Oh, here we go, Ian Miller at Facebook. Uh, oh, I don't have an answer for this. <laughs> so tell you what, cut that, Ian Miller at Facebook. Um, Joe, I'm obsessed with the notion of somebody getting to see the movie orgy. Yeah, we can go out on this one. Um, is there any possibility of leaking more segments to the trailers from Health Site? Only you can possibly answer this.
0: Leaking more segments? Well, the, 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 I've been importuned many times uh, to. Try to put this out on DVD. You know, yeah. it's it's seven hours. It was seven hours. Now it's five hours. I well, can't, can't imagine read,
1: just the legal issues.
0: Can't imagine issue. right. which. Break. Well, I don't own any of it, so there's no right. legal issue at all. It's all fair use. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: oh, is it all fair use? Is it all? Uh, well,
0: I, that's what we would, of course probably. say. No, um, I, but I, a lot of it's public domain anyway. I mean, that's lot, what I meant. A lot of domain. material yeah. become public domain, and, and a lot of it is not even identifiable. Um, the Problem is. <laughs> That it doesn't exist as an experience unless you see it with an audience. With a crowd, yes. It correct. does not work by itself. Yeah. Because I know I, I made a copy for John Sayles, uh, and he dutifully sat down and watched it. And No, wait, it.
1: wait. Sorry, did he just sit down at home and throw it on TV? Sat down at home and watched it. Did at least and Maggie join him at least? I'm sure there?
0: she did. But the problem was that uh, even though they were <laughs> complimentary about it, That's... That I, I had to say you haven't really seen it yeah that's, that's because so. the movie is only half the experience, yeah the rest of the experience is seeing it with the audience it, yeah. It's not dissimilar to when I saw showgirls, and the audience was um gobsmacked is the only word I could use by yeah. this movie, which has many ups and downs Yes, and they all came out like like the like the audience at the end of um in the bandwagon the, the the play that they come out of uh, a Faust play and they're all like zombies. They're walking around. I mean, it was as if everybody was leaving the Titanic. Right. They had all shared an experience. Yeah. And it was an unusual experience that, that they had had together. And it was the togetherness of the experience that made it real. It wasn't just sitting by yourself in the screening room.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: how the critics saw it. This, you had to see this movie, you know, and, and, the, and the movie orgy only works when there's a big crowd. Yeah, and it's and then it's hilarious. Then it's memorable, and that's no, why people—it's a, a blast, and it's that's fun. People you can, over the years have said to me, you know, I said the best movie I ever saw was a kid. I was uh, you took it to my college, and it you know, and uh, it's it's not because of the movies or anything in it. It's about the cumulative effect. Yeah, of
1: watching it, and, well, and the great thing, and this is a terrible thing to say to the director, but I think in this case, it's it's is you can get up. I mean, I've I've, I've seen it. I've, I think I saw it at the New Beverly the first time. Yeah. And you could get up and, you know, you need to stretch your feet after three or four hours. And you walk out into the lobby and, you know, you chat with a guy behind the counter a bit and you stretch and maybe a friend comes out and, you know, I don't know what, you have a cigarette on the street, whatever you do. You can take that break and you can go back in. I mean the fun you thing you haven't is- and you haven't missed anything. And yet, That's yeah, the, it's, exactly it's right. It's designed that way. It's yes. designed
0: so that you don't miss anything if you yeah.
1: leave and come back. Don't worry. Go get some popcorn. We'll be here when you get back. It's um, <laughs> yeah. I I can't imagine. But I mean, it is one of those things. People do watch movies on home video with crowds. I've I, I don't but know. Why I, 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 I suppose
0: the, I suppose the one way you could do it is that you could do a um, a, a crowd viewing uh, what it what I don't know what the, what do they call it when people get together they they're doing it on riff tracks and they're doing it oh on online oh. Science. they do it online and then everybody there's little little boxes with people's faces and stuff and they all riff uh, you know while the movie's going on which is not yes. very not very fair to the movie. In this case it wouldn't matter.
1: Yeah well we just I, did I, one with the Apple. Oh well there you go.
0: But but don't you think people probably enjoyed it more by seeing it together? Yes. even though they weren't together?
1: No, absolutely. I can't imagine. I think about that every time I show the Apple to people. And I remember somebody once telling me they had uh, heard all this stuff about this movie, The Room, and they had rented it and watched it and they didn't get what all the furor was well, about. yeah. Or <laughs> a, 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 a Rocky <laughs> Horror show. I mean, it, it, there's
0: certain things that have to be experienced yes. with an audience. And the must movie, scary, RG, unfortunately, is one of them. Uh, and there have been a lot of screenings. I mean, I've run it all over the world. You know, modern art. Don't know. I mean, we, we, we've had lots of screenings of it. Um, and every so often we have another one. Uh, we we used to run at the New Beverly, but um, that was back when we ran it on DVD. And I don't know. I don't know if they're equipped to do that anymore. Um, and I don't think. I don't think. I don't know if Quentin programs it himself now. Well, I think
1: it's it's blasphemy to show a DVD at the New Beverly now. They are purely film. Yeah, I guess that's true. But uh, I, the the sixteen wouldn't have gone through
0: the projector, so that's why we right. made a DVD of it. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry to tell this guy that chances are he won't be seeing too much more than the movie, be
1: Yeah. If, if we can figure out how to do it though, would you, would you be up for doing an online? Oh, sure. We should figure that out. Uh, well, that is it for our mailbag. We'll, we'll do this again at some point, but uh, yeah, it's been a blast. We will be back with a normal show next week um, as we always are. And uh, be sure to uh, download, be sure to subscribe, be sure to shout at us on social media and tell, tell your friends how much you love the show. We'll see you soon. Or should we say? Should we do a sign? We should do, uh, what was the what was the Cisco and Ebert? We'll see you at the movies. That's right. <laughs> Except we won't. <laughs> well, that's true. That is true. See you all next week. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of trailersfromhell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge.